When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. You just bought a home in the suburbs, but no one told you about all the birds, specifically this one, who seems to be calling out Roy. Roy. But who exactly is Roy? And why doesn't he ever respond? Maybe Roy is just bird speak for save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto. I guess until Roy answers, we'll never know. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. This is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine, and that music is from Kathy Valentine, a, a song called Hullabaloo from the soundtrack of Kathy's new memoir, All I Ever Wanted. After moving to Los Angeles, the guitarist Kathy Valentine played with a few different bands before joining the poppy, punky, all-girl band called The Go-Go's. You may have heard of them. Um, yep, those Go-Go's. The the Go-Go's are considered the most successful all-female band of all time. I mean, there was Fanny, there was The Runaways, but the Go-Go's made music history for having the first and only album by an all-female band to top the charts, and Kathy Valentine was obviously a big part of that. I mean, she wrote or co-wrote some of the band's most popular hits, like, say, Vacation and Head Over Heels and others. And this month... The University of Texas Press published Valentine's memoir, her first book ever, called All I Ever Wanted, A Rock and Roll Memoir. That's the full title. Also taking a cool, innovative approach, like Alison Moore with, with her memoir, Blood, uh, Valentine released the soundtrack of original songs to accompany her memoir. The soundtrack... Uh, the soundtrack makes sense because this is more about Valentine's personal coming-of-age story and her own rock and roll trip. It's not just about the Go-Go's experience. Uh, there's a lot here. Uh, she also released this as an audiobook put out by Hachette, and I have that, and I like that even more than the written word. Uh, Valentine's a natural when it comes to reading her own memoir. Um, hey, she might have a future podcast, and even you never know. Anyway, the Go-Go's were slated to go on tour this summer, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, keep up to date with it. Keep looking online if the pandemic flattens out this summer or not. And speaking of the pandemic, many couples are probably quarantined together, and this following ad spot will be a good opportunity for them. If any of our listeners are in relationships and they want to get some excitement in, into those relationships, their time together at home... Go to adamandeve.com. Adam and Eve is an upscale specialty boutique for discerning couples. And if you go to adamandeve.com, you'll get free stuff. 
free stuff to spice up your bedroom is even, hey, it's even better. Select almost any one item for 50% off, and then Adam and Eve will give you free stuff. If you go to adamandeve.com, all you have to do is fill up your cart and just enter the code GOLDMINE, G-O-L-D-M-I-N-E, at checkout. You can get up to about 10 free gifts. Um, an item each person in the relationship could use, and then you get a third item you could both enjoy. Uh, there are also six free movies to choose from, plus, uh, to top it all off, a great deal free shipping. That's offer code GOLDMINE at checkout at adamandeve.com. Okay, let's get Kathy on the phone here and chat about the new memoir, the music, and all things Go-Go's. Oh, hey, is this Patrick? Yes. Kathy? How's it going? It's good. Thank you. Where Where are you located? Austin, Texas. Oh, okay. So you guys aren't hit as hard as... I'm in the New York City area, and so we're... My boyfriend's in a health kitchen, and he's just giving me blow-by-blows, and it just sounds horrible. Yeah, it's, it is it is awful. Um so we're pretty much on lockdown, and uh, yeah, like even going to the park. See, you know, people always ruin it. Like you could go to the park, and then people like mess that up. Yeah, yeah. No one's, you know, I, you I have think Central Park's open, right? Yeah, uh, you know, you have your climate deniers, but here you go with the COVID nineteen deniers. They they think this is all <laughs> hype, and it's it's kind of sad. It's pretty amazing what, I mean, yeah. I've I've seen things that, like, leave me flabbergasted because every now and then I'll just go on a little uh, little journey to seeing what the the crazies are saying and thinking on Twitter or something. And I've seen so many of them think this is a um, conspiracy by Bill Gates to make everyone... (laughs) Uh, get microchips, microchips, so that he can vaccinate them all. That's yes. what they think. <laughs> it's, Is that a new one for you? That's a new one for me, but uh, I'm not surprised. <laughs> but let's talk about the rock and, and roll hey, men. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, just one more thing. One more. No, that's okay. One more thing on that. Have you ever like known somebody that was like your friend or, or a pretty good acquaintance, and then one day they pop out with some conspiracy theory that they believe, and you're like. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, I have. And it's like, and all of a sudden it's like your friendship, you just like, it just changes everything. And they're like, what? You know? It does. So I had a friend uh, who told me to watch the sky trails and, um, because they're poisoning the population. And I was just like, wow, I've known this guy for like 30 years. And all of a sudden he's watching YouTube videos about, you know. He's watching the sky. And it's, just as, it's just as easy to find the the debunked one that, that debunked that theory. They're, they're so easy, but they don't look at that stuff. Right? <laughs> I think they want to create drama in their lives. I, I don't know what it is. So all I ever wanted, I, you know, I got to say, I, I, I listened to the audio version, and uh, I want to ask you about that because you come off as not only a natural as far as writing a memoir, but as far as um, doing an audio book, um, you seem natural. Wait, nat- you heard the audio book? Yeah. You I, heard I, it? 
Yeah, I, I was listening to it uh, last night. Um, oh, wow. I haven't even heard that yet. Oh, uh, you, you come off really well. And you got to tell me how, were you comfortable? Or wh- how did you? Um... This amazing woman at Hachette Audio got wind of the book from Michael Azarad, who's my friend. And I sent him an advanced copy. I sent him the soundtrack. And he said, this is, this. I love this. And he sent it to Hachette. And I looked her up and she was like this award-winning audiobook producer and she was the absolute right person to do my audiobook so she skyped it so now i'm going to your question she um and i'm sorry i'm such a blabber mouth i, I just kind of t- start going so tell me to stop if you need me to. No, no, no but she she um she skyped in i went to a recording studio in austin and she skyped in and gave me direction and there was an engineer in the other room and it was just i did it they had like four days booked and i did it in two and a half so i guess i was pretty good at it you were, from what you're saying you sounds, are cool you, you even gave hachette a, a plug at the beginning so naturally i was uh, uh <laughs> <laughs> well maybe i have another career and maybe people will hire me to do their audio books or you could start your own podcast. Um, no, but I, I like in the beginning how you said that uh, talking about women in rock. I mean, in the beginning, there was when you started with the Go Go's. There, there were okay. You had the Runaways. You had Chrissy Hind. I mean, one thing for sure, rock and roll has made a lot of progress in that area because um, I see such great female artists. Um, I'll I'll bring one up for example PJ Harvey I don't know if you've heard of her but um, yeah of course so many and it's it's and so original it's so, such a great thing I always forget I always forget to mention PJ Harvey and I love her it's such really a great original. thing um that has progressed uh, to a certain extent where do you think it is now as far as women in rock how do you view it now as compared to well, the Go Go's is that you see women in, in uh, like major bands all the time. You see major artists hiring women in their bands. And I don't know, I, you know, partly I'm sure because it, it looks cool and it's a good thing, but I, they're not going to, they can hire the best musicians. They're not going to just hire a woman because she's a woman. So, right. you know, when Beyonce puts together a band, I mean, I, I've seen, you know, many years ago I saw CeeLo Green and he had an all-woman band and Pink always has women in her band. And, you know, when Bowie was alive, he had Gail Ann Dorsey. I mean, there's just so many women doing top-notch work as touring and studio musicians. So that's really cool. I love that. Uh, There's a lot of, you know, pretty, like you say, innovative um, artists, um, performers and uh, musicians and songwriters. But what I don't think... What I'm surprised at is still how few women want to be in an all-female band, you know. I mean, I really enjoy the sisterhood of that. And I really thought, I mean, that was my goal before I got into Go-Go's. I wanted to see up in the, the pantheon of all the classic bands with longevity and that evolve and put out record after record after record for, for decades, whether it's a U2 
or whether it's the Stones, I wanted to see women bands doing that. And, right. um, you know, I'm, I'm a little disappointed that that longing, I still have that longing, and uh, and I, I just don't see anybody. I mean, I got really far. I got to do a lot, you know, as far as being in the Go-Go's. But, you know, I, I would just love to see, you know, Foo Fighters, U2, Stones, Who, Led Zeppelin, oh, I could just go on and on, Radiohead and Green Day and all these bands that have been around forever, and they're all men. Of all the female bands, I don't know if the Donnas were awesome, you know. Yes. But I don't know. I don't know if they were like uh, doing that thing like the Go Go's did and the Bangles did in terms of having like um, a, a commercial widespread, you know, super cool bands. I don't need commercial widespread, but the Go Go's had hit songs. Well, I like the so, word. I like the word sisterhood. I think that's. That's important. That's what I want to see. I want to see, and I'm curious. I'm I'm just interested in general why more girls don't want to put a band with their girlfriends. You know, right? Like, lots of women want to go join a fucking sorority when they go to college. You know, fucking thousands of them want to do that. So very I'm true. Interested why? <laughs> why? Uh, more of them don't want to start a rock and roll band with their mates, you know. That's that was the first thing I wanted to do the second I picked up a guitar. Well, or the second, actually, I should say, as soon as I realized I could be in a band. Have you seen that uh, movie Her Smell? Have you heard about that movie? No. It's about an Her oral smell. Yeah, it's a weird title. It's an about an oral yeah. girl rock band. I think it's based on Hole. Um, but it shows um, it shows all the aspects of putting an all-girl rock band together. Um, it's kind of chaotic because it tries to capture that chaotic rock scene backstage. Look it up when you get a chance. It was made in 2018. Um, it's oh, an, wow. It's an indie film. Okay. I think it made too much... I think it made too much about the... Um, the, the drug use and hedonism and stuff like that, um, which I'm sure does go on, but I wanted to see more about the actual music industry. And the music. That was one of the things in my book. I just, I really wanted to write about not only what it was like to be in a band, from the, the minute you plug in a electric guitar to an amp and how empowering that feels mm. i mean for me when i was you know 15 years old and 1976 and kind of coming through a tumultuous adolescence and a very lost and confused um growing up with a single parent that wasn't really giving me much guidance or boundaries so a lot of painful stuff and plugging that I really wanted to get on the page, like how empowering that felt. And so in my book, I, I wanted to write about the music and how music had been there for me and pulling me through life, just pulling me along, even before I became a musician. And then what it felt like to, you know, be in a band and go on the stage and have thousands or hundreds at the beginning and then thousands of people just like totally digging and grooving on what you're doing on the stage. It's just like 
to write about the music was so important to me, you know, because I think, I think until we hear how important music is to women musicians, there's going to keep being this, this separation, like women who rock, fierce women who rock. Yes. You know, these are the women, this is the class of 2020 women who rock. It's like, that, that doesn't happen to guys when they start bands. No. And I, I would like it to just get normalized to a point, like, you know, and maybe, maybe if it's more about the music rather than the gender, you know, I don't know. I don't know what, it's just something that interests me and, and has for a long time. When you were growing up, you, I mean, you, um, you talked about seeing Susie Quattro on TV, right? When she was, when you were 14 and that, that really had an impact on you, correct? Um, yes, I, I had picked up a guitar and I was strumming along on my guitar and learning my folk songs. Like I had seen so many other girls that played guitar do and it never, it, it, I never made the connection that the people in the bands that I liked, whether it was, you know, the guitar player in David Bowie's band or Keith Richards or Eric Clapton or Jimmy Page, I, it, never, it never occurred to me that I could get up on a stage and do that too. And it wasn't until I was in England and saw Susie Quattro on television that it was like the, the, I called the chapter earthquake. It was like yeah. the ground opened under me. Mm. Oh, oh, I can do that. I, oh, so yeah, she should definitely be in the rock hall because Joan Jett had the same thing happen. You know, that's Susie Quattro is why there, why so many girls that were teenagers in the mid seventies became musicians. She's the reason. And I think she was more popular in England than, America, if I'm not mistaken. Um, she wasn't really known in America. She had started no. a band as a teenager in 1964 in Detroit called The Pleasure Seekers. So she mm. was doing it in the 60s. Like by the time I saw her, she had been playing music for 10 years, mm. if not more. So she, and she went to England and she was discovered by the, the, the Chinny Chat Glam Rock Mike Chapman and Nikki Chin team that were working with the suite and, um, you know, all the, the, the glitter and glam bands of that right. era. So they kind of um, took her under their wing. Yeah, because I was but saying... She's a rock star. Oh, she is. A and her new album is pretty damn good. It's been out for probably a year or so now, but um, she could still rock. <laughs> That's for damn sure. <laughs> I yeah, and there's a documentary coming out. I can't wait to see it because I'm in it. I don't even remember doing it. I don't even remember doing this interview, but apparently I'm in her documentary. Yeah. I'll check that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you, Susie Q. You're right, though. I can remember being a young kid in the 70s, and I only knew Susie Quattro as Leather Tux, Tuxedero and uh, Happy Days. Um, I didn't know her as Su uh, Susie Quattro. Um, and it was weird because, you know, it should have been the opposite way around. <laughs> um, and then I got introduced. I think 
to her. I think it was probably a mixed blessing for her because that that daughter, you know, known in America, but and I'm sure it paid really well. But it, it kind of, yeah, it, it kind of is in America one of the only things that people associate her with. Now, I mean, that's a great accomplishment of the Go Go's is. Uh, the only fee- all female bands have an album number one on the U.S. charts. I know we were talking about uh, all female bands, but uh, that is a great accomplishment. Yeah, another thing about that accomplishment that has nothing to do with being female is that we were the first indie band that I know of to have a number one record. Right. A lot of people don't I mean, know. The other, I think with the other the- band had major labels, you know, the Blondie right. and the Ramones and the Sex Pistols. They all had big, giant record, corporate record companies putting out their albums. And I think another thing is by that... 19, by 1982, I should say, by 1981. I mean, I'm not saying they didn't start out on little labels, but there was no sub-pop or all those, like, labels that came up. I mean, IRS Records had a hit record, you know? They had a number one hit, and so it was just a mu- just as much a triumph for them as it was for the Go Go's. So I like to point that out. And do you find that a lot of Go Go's fans know that you guys started pretty much as a punkish type band? I don't know. I don't know if you or yourself would call your your early years punk, but well, I started playing guitar before the punk days. But punk rock showed me that I could be in a band without having to be a virtuoso. So it was key for me. Right. But yeah, the, the Go-Go's have a documentary coming out that really uh, focuses a lot of the narrative on how the band came from the punk scene in L.A. So uh, that that was integral to the band starting. And yeah, it was. I was not in the band when they came out of the punk scene. I was right. still either in England or Austin. But it was affecting me too. I was I started the first punk band in Austin. I left England, thinking, okay, I don't have to play like Jimmy Page to do this. I can right. I can start now. And that was kind of like so it, it artistic expressionism. You know what I mean? It wasn't. Uh, you didn't have to paint. Oh yeah, it changed everything. And it was like it wasn't. It was very fluid. I mean, you didn't have to look like you were and Black Flag or the Sex Pistols, you know, there was, you could still be kind of a rock and roll band that was just rough and raw. Or it could be lyrically you were a punk band, maybe, or just in your energy, or, you know, you didn't have to, I mean, the Ramones looked like the Ramones, mm-hmm. you know, they just looked, they, they were the epitome of, of like what punk really meant, you know, that, and it was just like, um, it was very fluid and very, encompassing and who was allowed to be a part of that movement or who could claim you know what was behind that movement do you remember your um well your first gig at the uh at the whiskey in la um were you i'm trying to remember if you said if the thoughts going through your head about who had played there before and it must have been um quite an experience well, I wrote about it. I mean, my, my, my book actually starts out with right. me. And I, I had played the whiskey before in my, in my bands. Um, but what, the, what was a new experience and what I tried to relate in, was the feeling of getting on stage 
having eight consecutive sold-out shows with the audience going crazy, uh, really loving the band, being with people that felt like they could be like my sisters, like a family, and just playing music that I loved the songs. And it was, I was 21 years old, and it was really something I had been searching for. It was a it was kind of the only missing piece. I had gotten to do a lot of cool things. I'd played in bands in Austin and in, in London, and I had, you know, moved to L.A., and I jammed at a prison with Buddy Miles and had Smokey Robinson come and walk into a room. But I hadn't played sold-out shows on the Sunset Strip with everybody freaking out and loving you. And so it was – and that's what I strove to get – on the page was what it felt like, and that's how I start the book, actually. Right, I'm looking I at start it. with my my book. Yeah, I'm looking at that now. You, you know, your prose is you're a very talented writer. Have you ever, have you ever tried to write before? Um, I I knew I, w- I could write because I'm a I've been going to college. I've taken college um, level creative writing classes where I wrote short stories and. Even in not a writing class, you still have to do research papers and essays, and you have to do a good job if you're going to make a good grade. So I knew I could write. Um, I had done stuff. I had written about things in my life. But it's a different thing to write a book. You know, you can be a good writer, and still you have to battle a lot of a lot of stuff to write a good book. And there was a lot of times writing this book where I would kind of go over what I had done the day before and and they call it kill your darlings. Like I would read something and go, this is really good writing. This is a meaningful thing that happened, but it's not moving the story forward or it's not memoir writing. It's like, right. it's like an essay. It's, it's good writing, but it's not memoir. Memoir is when you can make somebody go, I know what she feels like. I have felt that way too. And you feel like you feel a connection through the page to the, the writer and the reader. And it's it's an amazing thing to accomplish, and that's what I tried to do. That that was my goal, and if I came close even a few times, I feel really proud and that I succeeded. You know what I mean? What uh, when did it come to you that you wanted to write a memoir, and did you tell uh, other members of the Go Go's about it? Well, they knew I wanted to write a book, and. Uh, I think they were nervous. I don't think they knew what kind of book I was going to write. Like, in fact, I had I had agents tell me, and and going back, I wanted to. I knew I once I knew I could write. I wanted to write a book. Right. But I was I I start I started thinking the smartest thing is to write. For the first book should be the book that only I can write. Mm-hmm. And the way I thought of it was like this: if I did short stories or if I did a novel, you're really competing against every literary genius there is that's also writing short stories and novels but if my first book was my memoir i'm i'm the only one that can do that i'm the only one that can write my memoir so i felt like it was a smart thing because it would open the door it would show people you know readers would see that i could tell a story and that i could engage them on the page so it was a smart move i thought but and the way, if you want to have a writing career, for me, it seemed like the way to open the door to doing that. So, but as far as the go goes, yeah, they they knew I wanted to do it. They, I think they were nervous. They they all have read it and support it and and are really happy with it. But I had an agent once tell me 
you know, you you won't get a book deal unless you write a tell-all, like, spill all the dirt kind of book. And I was like, well, that's not what I want to write. And he said, well, probably you won't get a book deal then because that's who's going to care about whether about you writing a book. And I was like, I don't know, but that's not the book I want to write. So when when I got approached by the University of Texas Press, one of the reasons I loved them and went with them was they were allowed me to write the book I wanted to write. And they didn't, they weren't interested in a, a tell all spill the dirt book. They just wanted me to write what I wanted to write. So that was really cool. Well, this is, I mean, I heard, I heard you describe it as a coming of age story. And quite frankly, you get very personal about this before even the go-go's come on the scene. You talk about how, uh, things that happened when you were 12, you talk about addiction. I mean, this is stuff that the, the go-go's don't have any part of really. Um, yeah, I wasn't writing the story of the go-go's. I was writing my story. So exactly. Part of my story is that I joined that band, but yeah, if I was going to write a book about the go-go's, it would have been a different book, but, um, a memoir is my story, and my story was all the stuff that I wrote about. And that's what makes it resonate with so many readers, is that it's a very human story. Yes. It's not, it's not just like, I was in a band that went to number one. That's not the book. Right. That happened in there. That happens in the middle yeah. of the book. Yes. But everything that I wrote about happened. So there was a lot more that happened. And a lot of the stuff that had nothing to do with the Go-Go's is what is what um, a lot of people really are resonating with. Right. That's true. That's Well, that's part of it. It's the coming-of-age thing that uh, I think I like the most. I think that's more so than the uh, te- any looking for any tell-all dirt uh, with, go-go, with the Go-Go's. I mean, I mentioned... Thank you. I like, and I think, I think most people are like that. I mentioned this to a friend who is a fan of the Go-Go's, and uh, he said, well, does she talk about male groupies, and does she spill it all? And I was like, oh, man, is that... Well, I do, actually. I say there weren't any male groupies. (laughs) Right, but isn't it funny how that was, like, the first thing on his mind? Uh... Yeah, it is funny. Because Mm -hmm. back, I remember those stories back when the Go-Go's first formed and came out you know there were these these made up stories about you guys all these male groupies blah 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 um there are so many of those stories in rock and roll that are just all bs yeah i mean i i i tried to make sure that i just wrote my story and i didn't want to i didn't want to write anything about anybody else in the band right because that's their story to tell so um, I, I really tried to write about things that happened to me in the band. Sometimes if somebody else was there and they had revealed that before, either either in an interview or or article or something, I felt comfortable writing about something. If they were, if somebody, if another band member was with me and they had revealed anything to do with addiction or anything that happened, then I I felt comfortable writing about it. Do you find the um, how much the music industry has 
changed? Uh, do you find it alarming how it went from putting out product like uh, you know hit album? Now it's kind of it went to, to touring, um, and the album was just sort of like a secondary piece, and now. And Goldmine's very involved with this, putting out product that is sort of uh, very tangible, box set type things, um, collections, um, vinyl. Um, I mean, it's very interesting. Um, how do you view it? Well, um, first of all, you know, what Goldmine does is awesome. I mean, I was good friends with uh, Gary Stewart. Mm. Um and uh, always loved how he kind of kept trying to find a new way to be in the music business as a lover of music. Because mm-hmm. I, think, I think the struggle is not just in the music business, but it's just in life how people that are artists or into the art work in a corporate environment, you yes. know, that really doesn't care about that. And what they care about is, is money and making more money and more yes. money. So it's a struggle for all of us. It's a struggle for, for anybody that is kind of, you know, trying to be an artist and a purist and, and, and support creativity and art in a corporate world where it's all about marketing and branding. Yes. And it's just really hard. So it's awesome what Goldmine does. And, um, I hate, I mean, there's a couple of times where I've had to talk about my brand. Okay, I need to figure out what my brand is. And I'm like retching just thinking it. Like, <laughs> I, this is not what I want to be. <laughs> yes. You know? But at the same time, you try to take the, the good out of it. You try to take, okay, what's what's the relevant thing that I can take from this and 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 use it to help me? And so for me, I was like, okay... I'm known as a as the bass player in a band from 1980 that had a hit in 1982, mm. and that was a long time ago. And that's not what I want to be. All I want to I want that to be the foundation mm-hmm. that I built something on. Right. And so, so I try to take the idea of a brand or building and just and not be like gross about it, you know, and and. And just start, but use that thinking to kind of be smart about right. how, because we really, all, all we're trying to do, all of us, is try to freaking pay the bills and get by and have enough. I mean, I guess some people want more than enough and good for them. They fuck up the world, but most of us want just enough. We want to be able to pay our bills, Correct. you know, have enough money if we get sick or to take care of the people in our lives that, that aren't as fortunate as us or to take a little vacation here and there. And it's like, so you just have to figure out how to do that. So that's when that mentality has been helpful to me because I just started thinking, well, of course that's all you're known as because that's the only thing that's been, you know, all these other things I've done, I've been in, I've put together, I'm, I'm really good. I know what a good band looks like and what they sound like. I've put together dozens of bands in my career. I have never not been in a band in 45 years. Mm-hmm. But only the go-go's is the, the known one. So when you just keep co- positioning yourself as some kind of person in a band, it's hard to, it's always going to be overshadowed by the fact that I was the bass player in the go-go's. 
always. Mm. So what I just started thinking of in terms of was like, okay, this writing this book is it's like kind of being in the, the spotlight for the first time in my career mm. where I'm like, I'm the front person. I never wanted to be the front person. Right. You know, I never wanted to be Mick Jagger. I wanted to be Keith. I wanted my little piece of the, sh- the the spotlight, but I didn't want to be ever the face. So writing a book, and then I wrote a soundtrack to the book, which is super creative and yes. innovative and probably the best music I've ever made. And I've started over the, over the past, like, 10 years doing some speaking engagements and really t- trying to take the platform of being a mentor and someone that did something you know, that was quite remarkable and using it to create something where I can continue because I'm not in a band that works all the time, you know, and I get by, but I still got to figure out what am I going to do to earn right. a living. So that's a really long-winded answer. Well, I, I, every time I ask that question, some artists say, you know, well, I, the thing I like about it now is I have more control. Uh, over my music and my creativity, but it's harder to, uh, you know, market that, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's, you know, you're inundated, the the market's inundated with music, a lot of it good, some of it bad, you know, so it's yeah. hard to get uh, the name out there, your music out there. Um, Absolutely. And some artists, what they are good at is like, like sitting in their studio and creating something beautiful and some other musician comes along and what they're good at is getting out there and fucking hustling yes. 24-7. And who's the one you're going to hear about? It's going to be the one that hustles 24-7. Right. You know, who has... And yet the person making something beautiful that maybe they just abhor the idea. Right. You know, it's so... It's, it's really difficult because, you know, I can't the fact that I sometimes sit there and I, I look up at the clock and I've just spent three to four hours doing online bullshit, you know, <laughs> to, to make sure people know about what the hell I've done. And that's three or four hours I would have much rather been writing. Right. You may have you know? more, you may have more uh, freedom, but some people don't like uh, marketing themselves. And and quite frankly, you fall down that social media rabbit hole. <laughs> Sometimes you feel yeah, like yeah, and it's like it, and it's, it's just it's super time consuming. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to promote my book because I had a 23 seat city book tour right. that was going to be awesome with really cool people. I had you know Kathleen Hanna and, and yes. Kelly Deal and Tanya Donnelly and all these amazing women and Liz Winstead and. I, it's all like scrapped and now I'm like stuck doing everything like post. And then you're like, okay, people, how long before people get sick of you posting about your book? Cause nobody right. wants to be like bombarded all the time with, so it's a tough, it's a tough thing, but I'm doing what I can. I set up a, a zoom chat tonight was supposed to be a book event in Austin with John Doe from mm. X yeah. and obviously it was canceled. So we're doing a zoom chat tonight. And I have spent hours like creating this stupid thing and getting the word out and setting it up and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, ugh. But what's the point if no one's going to be there? I love the fact that you're connect, connected the song, like songs to this. 
and you call it a, a soundtrack, and it makes it like film, like how you include music. I think more books yeah. or memoirs or whatever should do this. Yeah, me too. I'll be doing it more, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, hey man, you could use some of your creative writing and do a soundtrack. Yeah, to I'm gonna it. do my I'm gonna do my short stories and do I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> resurrect my idea of a short story collection and do tracks to them. You are. I, I think, think that's a super cool thing to do. That's a super cool thing to do. That would be great. Yeah, I find that interesting. Like the I I always like playing in a band. I'll probably always have a band. I have a rock and roll band in Austin. I love playing with. But as far as being, you know, like a creator, I don't know the idea just like making records all the time interests me but but writing as an author and then combining it with what i can do musically that interests me a lot so i'll be doing more of that well it's yeah i think that doing something like short stories um with music would be that could be a new thing really i would love to see that but you're you're also lucky you're also lucky to be in Austin because uh, I don't know if you know all your, you know all the acquaintances you have or or the friends you made in the music business probably tell you that a lot of the scenes have dried up. <laughs> you know, being here in New York City, I feel like I've been to Austin and I'm just blown away by how musical Austin is and how much it's embraced there. I'm jealous. So. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't know how to be in a band in New York. It's always seemed hard to me to be it a is. there. And I would always say, like, well, what do you do? You just, like, get a taxi and go to, and everybody's like, yeah, that's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the days when they had the big taxis, you would just put your amp in the, yes. in the, the big yellow taxi. Now, la- last question. Of all the people you talked about, John Doe, um, and, of course, John Belushi was at your one of your first gigs, right? Um, with the Go Go's, mm-hmm. you have a photo of him with you. Of all the people that you met, celebrities, who had the most uh, effect on you as far as meeting them and developing a relationship? I think getting to know James Honeyman Scott from The Pretenders. Oh yeah, uh, was really important to me because I he was just a, a really sweet, easy person to befriend. And very open and warm, and um, he, he had he had married his his wife was from Texas too, so we we kind of all just got along really well. And when the Go Go's broke up, and I, I kind of floundered for a while. I talk about that in the book. I'm really lost. But in the '90s, which might be in my sequel when I do a sequel memoir, I decided to really go back to my roots and become the guitar player that I had dreamt of being, even though I wasn't in a band that was going to ever maybe, oh, I didn't know, but, you know, I, I didn't know if I would be in a hit band, but I, I just wanted to be that musician. And um, Jimmy was passed away by then, but it was his playing that inspired me the most because he was just so rock and roll, yet so, uh, he just had so much personality and, and, and just this unusual sense of, of style and the way he played really inspired me. So I, I would have to say probably him as, as how he was as a human and as he, how he was as a player. And what an underrated guitarist he was. Um, I think about that lead in Kid, short but sweet. Mm-hmm. 
you know, just stuff like that. And Little I think accents. Chrissy would probably, I, I'm pretty sure she has said, you know, that he, his parts and everything were such a big part of the success and the sound of, of that amazing debut album, The Pretenders yep. put out. You could feel the difference when he was gone, you know, yeah. you definitely could. Well, listen, thank you. And I'm going to push the book here. My pleasure. And uh, all the Thank best, you. okay? It's, it's. Thank you so much. It was really nice talking to you. Stay safe and sound. Bye. Thanks, Kathy Valentine. Be on the lookout for the Go-Go's touring this year. And in the meantime, I recommend you pick up her new memoir, Kathy Valentine's new memoir, All I Ever Wanted, a rock and roll memoir. Even better, the audiobook of it. And it comes with a, a great soundtrack of Valentine's own solo music as well. Also go to GoMyMag.com for exclusive content and a percentage off print and digital subscriptions. And if you sign up for our weekly newsletter, you'll get a free digital download of a goldmine issue. Okay, well thanks all. Thanks for taking the time, and we will talk to you next time on the Goldmine Podcast. This is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine, signing off. Bye now. If you're looking to get a new car, you could really cut expenses by bundling your car and renter's insurance with Progressive. Sure, you love your old car, but you know it's not normal to give instructions on how to open the window. It should be self-explanatory, but it's not. And notice how when you're in other people's cars, you can feel cushion in the seats? That's pretty nice, right? No, it's just normal. So bundle your renters and car insurance with Progressive and put the savings toward a new car. It's time. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.